Hi, this is Danny Korchmar from The Immediate Family. And I'm Steve Postel from The Immediate Family. And I'm Leland Sklar from The Immediate Family. Hi, it's Wadi Wachtel from The Immediate Family. Hi, it's Russ Kunkel from The Immediate Family. You're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Michael Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Hypebot, somebody named Jay Gilbert made 11 music business predictions for 2024. Jay, Jay somebody's hijacking your name. <laughs> From Duetti, 2023 music economics report for independent artists. And from The Guardian, we're on TikTok? What's TikTok? <laughs> the forgotten bands going supersonic thanks to Gen Z. What is TikTok, Jay? We'll have to cover that someday. All right. We're glad you're here. It's episode 175. Jay and I are hitting the button right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Good to see you on a Saturday morning, Brian. <sighs> Good to see you too. How about that intro? I mean, those are legendary musicians. I mean, absolutely legendary. And this past week, um, they released the Immediate Family uh, documentary. Uh, you and I talked about this um, months ago. I mean, we were fortunate enough to see a screening of this. But holy moly, uh, these oh, guys. Yeah. It's a and it's a great movie. It's a really great documentary. And as we've kind of mentioned, kind of before, it's it's done by Denny Tedesco, uh, who also did the Wrecking Crew, which and is in many awesome. ways, which is a fantastic, a must see documentary for everyone. And you know, the Wrecking Crew really covered the the uh, the, the the session guys and gals that were basically operating in the '60s into about the early '70s, and then that whole world changed, and the folks in immediate in the immediate family documentary kind of took over so it's really kind of about it's almost like the wrecking crew part two and yeah it's we we loved it we saw a screening of it and uh oh it's a highly recommended documentary. highly recommended and uh uh yeah you, you don't want to miss this one so um at, before we jump into the stories we have a quick correction last week you and i were talking about the uh senate uh the fans first bill and we mm -hmm. had mentioned that it it had passed the Senate. It, it hasn't passed the Senate. It was introduced to the Senate. So uh, sorry about the uh, 
misinformation there. Um, and speaking of documentaries, um, last night um, I watched this really great documentary. It's uh, about Jason Isbell, and the title is Running With Our Eyes Closed, and that's on mm-hmm. HBO. And uh, my friend Nicole um, over at Sideways told me about this thing over lunch, and I watched it. And uh, yeah, you want to have some tissues handy because it's it's real, uh, it's it's amazing, but it's it's a lot about him, his growing up, but also how he deals with his wife, collaborator Amanda Shires. Because as you mm-hmm. were talking, you and I were talking before we hit record, that's a challenge, you know, for any relationship when you're writing, recording together, touring together, living together, <laughs> raising a child together. I mean. And they are just so brutally honest with those challenges. Wow. Well, and he's a great artist. I saw him in Santa Barbara. In fact, I happened to see Jason Isbell and his wife. Um, and it was the and David Crosby came on. It was the last performance uh, David Crosby did. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and yeah, if you if you haven't seen Jason is Jason Isbell live, what a great show. He is he is a dynamic performer. And I ha- I I knew this documentary was coming. I have not sat down to watch it yet, but uh, yeah. Certainly looking forward yeah, to Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I want to just give one more plug to our special bonus Your Morning Coffee podcast episode that dropped last week with Howie Singer and Bill Rosenblatt. It's live now. Of course, we talk about their new book, Key Changes, The Ten Times Technology Transformed the Music Business, and uh, getting a lot of great feedback uh, from that conversation. It's such a great book. It's a great book, a must read when we say it is a de- desert island book for anyone involved in these things that we talk about. You've, we mean it. It's a great book. Great guys, super sharp. And we could have gone for, like you said, another couple of hours. Yeah. Uh, I hope we can uh, get out to New York and uh, buy them dinner and, you know, continue our conversation. Wait a minute. Can't we go out to New York and have them buy us dinner? <laughs> Yes. Like yeah, we can do that. Um, okay. Oh, and uh, talk about uh, what we've got coming this week. Yeah, we're going to be talking with Bobby Osinski about his book, The Musician's AI Handbook, and we are really looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. my goodness. We have learned so much from Bobby. Sure. And I I interviewed him back in the day when I had Sound and Vision Radio, and mm-hmm. he is a force, and he is someone you need to pay attention to because yeah. he it's, is so on it, and we're looking forward to hearing about it. It's such a hot topic it. today. It's Everybody's oh, talking about yeah. AI and music. And, you know, they may read a headline and form an opinion. Bobby doesn't do that. He goes in and, you know, does the uh, homework and tries out all of these different platforms and plugins and so on. So you can stand on the shoulders of giants. And the last thing I wanted to mention really quick is the final round for voting for the Grammy Awards just begun. Uh, just began. I mean, it it runs through January 4th. So if you're a voting member of the Recording Academy, get those votes in. Um, watch the 2024 Grammy Awards telecast on Sunday, February 4th on CBS and Paramount+. And as we have mentioned, the, the Grammy Awards show has gotten so much better. It's fantastic. And it really has. I, I really look forward to that show. And, uh, and I will be sitting on my couch, perhaps with an adult beverage in hand, watching it and looking yeah, forward to it's it. It's going to be good. Yes, indeed. And Jay, you know, when we do the show, 
we do it with, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yes, we do. We have some wonderful sponsors, uh, including Bandzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, like hosting in a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and a fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can jump over to bandzoogle.com and try it free for 30 days. Just use the promo Promo code morning coffee, all one word to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code morning coffee. Yes, sir. And a big shout out to our friends over at HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton. With help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You betcha, Bands in Town, over 80 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 590,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes, sir. And finally, the Music Business Association. They host an annual slate of in-person and virtual events, so industry professionals Professionals across the globe can come together to discuss hot button issues and support the growth of the entire music business community. Join us for the Music Biz 2024 conference May 13 through the 16th at JW Marriott in Nashville. I'll see you there. Indeed. Big thanks to Banzoogle, HypeBot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. My goodness, we certainly appreciate it. In case you're wondering who the guy I get to yap with every week is, Well, he is none other than Jay Gilbert. He's a music industry consultant. He is the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups. Yes, and the gentleman across from me that I get to talk with every week is long. Uh, it's Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, Universal Music Group, and it's unusual that I actually saw a documentary this week before you did. I think that's the might be the first time that's happened. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're you 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 do it, but with equal aplomb you you were on them sometimes oftentimes before i am so we love we it. talk about him yeah. but i gotta it, it, you know it's this you have to set aside time and it's hard as much yeah, as i love busy. to watch them yeah yeah you know and i i uh i think i told you i just, I just finished the donna summer one which i loved but uh i've got a laundry list of things i want to watch in terms of music documentaries and did you see the and, uh the one recently about john lennon really kind of focusing no. on Oh my goodness! Um, it's super good. Um, let me look up the the title of it's it. It's on Apple Plus, I yes. believe, or, or Apple TV. Um, yeah, I have not watched it. You mentioned how much you enjoyed it. And, yeah, uh, it's called Murder Without a Trial, and I think it's a three part series, and it's it's depressing, but it's really really well done. 
Yeah, I can. That that's on my list for sure as well. <laughs> All right, Jay. Here is this. This is my favorite one of the week for crying out loud. It is from you uh, for Hypebot. <laughs> Eleven music predictions for twenty twenty four, and I remember when you were going down the list and talking about what you're going to put in it. So it must be fun to see your name in lights, as they say. Well, uh, we were asked um, by uh, Bruce Houghton over at Hypebot. Um, he said, uh, you know, do you have any any predictions? He's doing a series of them um, on Hypebot. And I always love seeing, you know, Bobby Osinski's is up, by the way. You got to check that out. Um, but he asked me for some predictions. And so I jotted down a few of them. And as you know, some of these are a little bit of a stretch, you know. Um, we'll, we'll get to... Uh, you know, but they're uh, predictions. Number four, uh, I got a couple of emails from people going, yeah, a girl can dream, but that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, it was a lot of fun. And one of them sort of already came true. That's right. Well, let's jump into them. Your, your first one is as generative AI tools for creating songs from an artist's body of work become more mainstream and ubiquitous, a, in quotation marks, new Napster will launch to showcase and distribute all of the fake Drake type songs yeah. being created. Yeah. And there's and, already a couple of those that have mm -hmm. started popping up. Um, a lot of people thought the LimeWire thing was that, but... As of right now, you can't use uh, copywritten material in that if you go check out the new LimeWire, but you can use their generative AI to, you know, create music um, in different styles, moods, genres, and images and things like that. And it's, it's fun to play with. There's a lot of uh, platforms out there like that. But yeah, there already are a couple of these uh, little uh, places where people are storing and file trading uh, songs created using, you know, trained on somebody else's IP. So it's not a mainstream sort of thing. It's more like peer to peer. And, right. you know, you and I talked about this almost a year ago that this is going to start happening and it, it is. And doesn't it feel weird to say LimeWire again in the year 2023, <laughs> almost 2024? Tell me about it. Yeah. Like, yes. Well, your number two thing was worldwide music copyright value will increase from $41.5 billion to $50 billion. Yeah. And of course, we chatted with, with uh, our friend Will Page about this, about the, well, the $41.5 billion number. Yeah. And, uh, and I that's think really where that came that. from, right, is mm -hmm. that our conversation with, with him, and it led me to sort of look... At his numbers, you know, he had mentioned that in 2020, uh, the music copyright value was a little over $31 billion. And then the next year, it had gone up, you know, over $5 billion to 36.4. And, and then, of course, the explosion for 2022, $41.5 billion in music copyright value. I think we're, gonna, gonna, we're going to get pretty close to $50 million, mm -hmm. but we'll see. Yeah, $50 billion, that is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then this is an interesting one. We will see music streaming subscription prices increase. A basic single-tier user monthly rate will be twelve ninety nine. Yeah, wow. I think we're, we're looking at the trends, right? Last year, Apple and Deezer moved from $9.99 to $10.99. In July, Spotify moved up. Uh, last January, Amazon, YouTube Music. Um, we're not afraid now. And you and I talked about this before they started raising prices. We were like, who's going to go first? You know, yeah. because if you go first, then you're hanging out there, you know, on a limb, but now everybody's sort of doing it. We know that in order to, you know, increase that revenue, this needs to be done. Plus it's grossly undervalued for everything 
that you get. And I don't, you know, like you talked about how you subscribe to some of these video channels and that, you know, they raise their rates, you know, semi-regularly. All the time. And All the time. And there's a little bit of churn, but in the end, it's it's still very valuable for that price. So, yeah, I think it's going to go to twelve ninety nine. And number four, Jay, I hope this one comes to pass. Performers will finally be paid when their song is played on the radio in the U.S. And of course, the U.S. is the only major company in the world, company, country in the world where terrestrial radio is not required by law to pay royalties to performers or recorded music copyright owners of the songs played on air. It is galling, although streaming services and Sirius XM satellite radio already do pay such performance royalties. But, Jay, I have my fingers and toes crossed that we're going to finally get this across the finish line. I hope so. Look, I, a girl can dream. You know, I had a few emails this week with people going, yeah, that's not going to happen. But look, <sighs> the, the United States is the only democratic country in the world uh, that doesn't pay performers uh, for radio airplay. Uh, the other uh, countries were in good company here, Iran, North Korea, China. And I really want to give a shout out to a trailblazer, a guy that not only is he a, a killer singer-songwriter, but he's really sort of this you know, uh, human wrecking crew just going in and shaking things up. He started this thing called Hashtag I Respect Music, and that's Blake Morgan. Um, and follow Blake Morgan because he's really uh, the the front of this uh, spear right now going through and trying to get performers in the United States paid when their songs are played on the radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, number five, Jay, you say catalog valuations will stabilize powered by publishing and streaming gains. You betcha. Yeah. Well, we read some articles where it said that these things were going down, these catalog mm-hmm. valuations. And, and that's not really true. There was a really great piece in Billboard written by Glenn Peoples and Ed Chrisman, and the headline was, Music Catalog Values Rose Slightly in 2023, but a leveling out is coming. So artists who decided to sell their catalogs in 2023 actually did a little better on average than the year before. And that was according to a report by Shot Tower Capital. The average multiple, you know, we talk about these multiples of private music publishing catalogs, excluding a number of some of the iconic ones, it increased, you know, 17 2 times. And that's in the NPS, which is the net publisher share. That's sort of gross profit after paying writer royalties. So it increased 17.2 times uh, in 2023 from 16.7 in 2022. So that's just a long-winded way of saying, I think that it's still healthier than people might think it is. And regardless of the headlines that you've been reading, it's, it's still doing okay. Yeah. Uh, your sixth prediction, more digital service provi- providers or DSPs will add playlist pitching features like the one title recently started testing. Yeah, I hope so. Um, Mike Warner wrote a really cool piece on his uh, uh, website, workhardplaylisthard.com, and uh, he and I talked about it a little bit, and I, I think it's spot on. Um, they're, they're testing that right now uh, with title, and I hope they get to a point. I mean, you can sort of do a little bit of that, like with Spotify for Artists. You can, they have a submission tool, and you can do some of those things. But, but something so simple as saying, this is my focus track, Here's some information about it. You know, I think it would work well with these playlists. 
I hope it goes that way. Yeah, me too. Uh, I love the number seven uh, prediction, Jay. A band lab artist will celebrate a number one hit. Yeah, we love Band Lab. It's quietly, you know, just growing in leaps and bounds. Um, in September 2022, it was 50 million unique monthly users. Uh, January of this year, it moved to 60 million. Um, there's estimates that it could be around 80 million today, and they've done collaborations with UMG and uh, Beat, Marcus, Beat Marketplace, Airbit, Riot Games. So keep an eye on Band Lab. It's it's growing. It is. It certainly is. Your number eight prediction, your number eight prediction, I should say, the number of tracks uploaded to DSPs, this is not including SoundCloud and YouTube, on average each day will move from 60,000 today to 120,000. If you include SoundCloud and YouTube, that number will grow from 120,000 today to 240,000. So you're saying it's going to double. I do. Yeah, I think I, it's just, you know, not just because there's so many more creators, but with AI in the marketplace to make it so much easier yes. to create things, um, unless there's some guardrails put up by some of these DSPs, mm -hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, your number nine prediction, physical sales, we're talking CDs, vinyl, and cassette, will gain market share worldwide, continuing upward. Yeah. And you and I had a really cool conversation uh, with uh, Jamie from uh, Luminate when they did their mid-year report, that special mm -hmm. episode. If you haven't seen it, it's a good one. Um, and I believe, uh, well, from that conversation, we saw that it was surprising that all of those physical formats then were still trending up. And it surprised a lot of people, cassette vinyl CD, which was a real shocker. Yeah. But I believe that it's going to continue uh, that rise. Uh, your number 10 prediction now, uh, super fans are probably number two of our topics we talked about this year in terms the second only to AI. You're saying artists, managers, labels, distributors, and venues will create new ways to super serve the super fan. Yeah. Other than AI, I think it's the hottest topic out there. And you and I spoke with uh, Jaquel from Fave and their new mm -hmm. AI uh, fan finder last week. It's, it's hot on everyone's mind. Yes, and at number 11, to improve recommendation and search, music and video platforms will move from primarily metadata tags to deeper song analysis. We're talking lyrics, composition, and sound. Interesting. Yeah, I did a, a masterclass last weekend um, with Hit Songs Deconstructed. Man, if you haven't seen that platform, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so there are meta, metadata tags today, and they're, they're often really broad, and they're often wrong. You know, things like, well, metadata is just the, the verbiage you use to describe a track. So it's artist, title, version, mood, genre. There's a whole bunch of, you know, uh, numbers that go into that and, and tags. But I think as the industry moves to sort of deeper song analysis, um, the recommendations are going to improve exponentially. So um, let's let's watch that space closely too. Well, and, and there's, I, like you've mentioned so many times, there's just so many errors in metadata. And, you know, over the years, it's just, it's like, I'm trying to think of, a, of an, another analogy, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the most important foundational part of yes. that. Of, of that song and yeah. if it, if you're not getting it right problems abound and yeah it's, and it's a pain in the butt dealing with it though and it's so not fun well to me it's not fun, yeah but, yeah uh, but if you've ever been it's into crucial. sound exchange um mm -hmm. 
Look, it's it's not that sound exchange is nefarious or anybody. It's just a lot of these things are fat fingered in by humans yes. and they make mistakes and sometimes data is left off. We have a couple of artists that have very common names. And when I went into sound exchange, they were mixed up and they do this thing called disambiguation. Love that word. And <laughs> you can get these things separated. I recently worked with Luminate um, on a couple of artists that... Um, the music from one artist was showing up on the other artist's pages because they have the same name. So you have to sort of fix that metadata. So it's, it's a huge problem. Um, it's being tackled on many different fronts. But I think as far as recommendations from DSPs, we need something deeper than light competitive artists and genre and mood and, yeah. and style. And, and I think some of these deeper analysis will really serve up music that that will speak to you, that you will love, that maybe won't be in the same genre. And the last thing I'll say on it was I was talking to the folks over at Hit Songs Deconstructed, and I was saying that, you know, growing up, and I'm sure you were like this too, I didn't have all just rock, EDM, country, jazz, classical, metal. You look at somebody's record collection, and it was just all over the map, and that's how we listened to music. And... Mm -hmm. I think the way that the metadata tags are today, it sort of puts you in a box and puts it in a silo and feeds you things based specifically on those attributes. I just don't think that's how people really listen to music. No. And and that gets wrong all the time as well. You're like, why am I, why is this one sh shot my way? It's, yeah. That's nothing like I like. So it's, it is a big challenge. If you ever just, if you've ever uploaded music and, and had to go through that torturous process of typing in and this and that and going yeah. back, okay, who's the, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. And especially stuff that was uploaded, you know, over the years, years ago in the past, uh, where they weren't asking for, for a, a, as much data as they are now. Um, those things are just still up and it's, it's, it's a real problem. So yeah. love this, Jay. This must've been a fun thing to put together. Yeah. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. All right. Let's go on to our second story uh, from Duetti, a 2023 music economics report for independent artists. Boy, this was fascinating. Oh, this is a good one. And again, you and I talk about how when people put together a report and they they go deeper and they work harder and they craft graphics and charts and they make it aesthetically beautiful. Yes. Boy, did they do a, a great job on this. And we'll talk about a couple of, of the slides. But let's talk about, a you know, I think they had five key takeaways from this report. Yeah. So the first one was earnings per stream are down 2% in 2023, despite price increases by the streaming platforms. Uh, and then independent artists make uh, $2.95 per 1,000 streams. And ay, 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 that is just... <laughs> that was surprising to me. And a, yeah. lot of, a lot of what they pulled out of here was a little counterintuitive. They said that the decline... Mm -hmm this decline that they're talking about is driven primarily by Spotify um, where per stream rates are down 8% in 2023. And this is due to expansion in lower cost markets, uh, re reliance on discounted plans like the family plans and duo plans and the proliferation of discovery mode. Right. And they say Spotify's payout rate decline outweighs the positive contribution of the industry's subscription price increases in 2022 
2023 that we were talking about, which yeah. led to increased payout rates by Apple, YouTube, and Amazon. Yeah, so independent artists need to generate about 5 million streams annually in order to make the U.S. federal minimum wage. But I would only caveat that is that's if they're using an independent distributor like, you know, DistroKid, CD Baby, uh -huh. TuneCore. If you're through a, a label, then you've got a different deal. You get, you know, a portion of that based on the agreement that you have with that rights holder. So I just wanted to point that out. Right. Uh, number two. And you have always, uh, over the years, mentioned how big YouTube is a beast. And it's, it's fun to talk about Spotify, Apple Music, at all. But YouTube is, is the big kahuna. And it's, uh, number two is for U.S. and U.K. artists, no surprise, YouTube is more important than ever. Yeah, YouTube and Apple Music have grown their what they call wallet share for independent artists at the expense of Spotify. But Spotify remains the most important platform in terms of wallet share by far with 55%. So the top four platforms, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and Amazon, generate 96% of income for independent artists. That's yeah. one of the slides in here, and I think that's really important. Those top four platforms, that's incredible. Um, 1,000 TikTok video creations generate just 50 cents for independent artists, almost 13 times less than the 1,000 streams on Apple Music. Yeah, wow. Uh, number three, streaming income varies greatly by genre. Yeah, this was interesting. I had never thought of it really, you know, in that way. You know, while independent country artists make, you know, uh, what is it, $3.50 per thousand streams, independent Latin artists only make $1.10. That's nearly 70% less. Yeah, variations in streaming rates is driven by different platform and country mix of audiences across genres. Yeah, Spotify's genre-based wallet, um, wallet share, I should say, it varies from as low as 38% for country artists and as high as 66% for rock. Super interesting. Yeah, and interestingly, Apple particularly over-indexes jazz, country, R&B, hip-hop, and Christian, while YouTube over-indexes in Latin, hip-hop, and R&B. Interesting. Number four yeah. was five markets generate 80% of the income for U.S. artists. Right. Alongside the U.S., which has a 59% wallet share, as they say, the other major four countries for U.S. artists are the U.K., not surprisingly, 9%, Germany, which is 5%, uh, Canada, 4%, and Australia, 4%. Platform wallet share varies by country for independent artists, with Spotify much stronger in the U.K. versus the U.S., for example, you know, on a relative basis. Right. Uh, number five, the average independent artist spends 26% of income on distribution fees unless they choose to go fully DIY. Yeah, this year, Latin and country artists paid the highest distribution fees. And uh, fees surpassed 20% across all genres, indicating industry-wide reliance on advances and other services, which usually require a distribution fee above 15%. Yeah, super interesting stats. This is one of the better reports we've seen. I want to talk about a couple of the slides that we saw in here. The first one, the headline of the slide was, Spotify is the only top four DSP 
showing strong declines despite recent price increases in the U.S. And you just touched on that, but they they show Amazon, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Everybody else is, you know, that wallet share you were talking about. They're all increasing, except for Spotify right now. Yeah, that's really interesting. And 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 uh, you know, when you talk about the the U.S. dollars earned for a thousand streams, when you when they lay it out in this graph, it's like wow, fascinating. And you know, it's it's uh, it's not dramatic, but it's it's right. consistent yeah. decline. And it's like why? Yeah. And I love <laughs> I how they they point that out. And then the other slide we're talking about wallet share. This is a change since 2021, sort of in percentage points. YouTube has seen the strongest growth in wallet share and secondly is is Apple but it's it's really that it's a YouTube world it really is and and uh, you know I I've, I've been kind of trying to pay attention to my own YouTube use lately to see relative to how much I listen to a streaming service versus YouTube and I at least for me personally YouTube is probably four to one. You know, I am always going back to YouTube because as you and I have talked about over the years, there's just stuff there that is nowhere else. That's right. And if you look in your morning coffee this week, there's a chart I put in there from Charter and they just looked at teenagers and the number one platform is not TikTok uh, for 13 to 17 year olds. It's YouTube. YouTube. Um, And then if you look on page 12, they have this really cool slide that I put in your morning coffee. And the headline is artists need to focus on four platform forms only. It's easy for you to say for their streaming income only for us and UK. That's like four platforms. And I mean, what a beautiful slide. I mean, look at how big Spotify is uh, compared to the rest. Yeah. And it says, even though Spotify pays less per stream, its streaming volume is so much larger that it is able to occupy a significant wallet share due to its freemium tier and other drivers. But uh, yeah, when you see it in that graph, it's like, whoa, yeah, that uh, you've got my attention. Yeah. Um, uh, and, then the, and then the and then go ahead. Sorry, go Jay. No, I was going to say, and then uh, the, the another slide here, apps like TikTok represent a tiny source of income and in streams for the average independent artist. Yeah. Uh, premium DSPs like Apple and Amazon generate substantial wallet share compared to streams, while freemium DSPs like YouTube and Spotify dominate yeah. streaming share. This is a great chart. You know, it shows Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon, Pandora, Deezer, Tidal, and TikTok in that order. Mm-hmm. But one mm-hmm. of the things that people misunderstand about TikTok is it's different the way they calculate payouts. It's different right. than a streaming service because TikTok payouts are paid per video creation, not per stream. And that's a little bit different. So you're comparing apples to uh, chainsaws. That's <laughs> <laughs> as I often do. Uh, <laughs> but of course, and, and, and you know, TikTok is such an outlier. It, its impact on the others also, though, is, is something you have to factor in. So it, it's, like you said, apples and chainsaws. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And, and again, I'm struck by the beauty of this particular, as I'm looking through it right now, this particular report. And <laughs> it is absolutely gorgeous. The other one, interestingly enough, uh, DSPs vary greatly in importance by genre, So Spotify is the largest across all. Not surprising, I suppose. Yeah, it's interesting to see this graph because you can go by genre, country, jazz, R&B, hip-hop, etc. And you can sort of see between YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music how those strengths and weaknesses play out. 
Um, you know, like you mentioned a moment ago, there's certain genres and moods that Apple music is stronger at than YouTube or Spotify and vice versa. So it's a really great chart. And in fact, this whole report is just phenomenal. Um, it's their first annual report. It's, uh, there's a link to it in your morning coffee this week. Uh, great job from our friends over at, uh, Duetti. Fantastic report. Indeed. Indeed. All right. And my favorite story of the week, Jay, it's from The Guardian. <laughs> We're on TikTok. What's TikTok? The forgotten bands going supersonic thanks to Gen Z. And we've been reading a lot of stories lately about these bands. And I'm not talking about bands from the 60s and 70s and 80s. I'm talking about bands in the last like 10 years who think they know who their crowd is and they see them at their shows. And then all of a sudden they start playing shows and all, a lot of younger people are showing up. And then there'll be a moment in a song because on TikTok, it's typically not the whole song. It's a moment right. of the song. And they'll be playing a song and all of a sudden the crowd will just erupt when that portion of the song is played. It's, it's really fun. Yeah, it starts by saying aging acts that can't even get radio time are going viral and finding themselves playing arenas or even soundtracking Ukrainian resistance. But how do you follow up a hit? No one can explain. And I think that is also the most interesting thing about TikTok, just just as someone who's, you know, who's been around the music business for a long time is what the hell? Some, why does that resonate with certain people? You yeah. Know, what is it about that song? And, and you know, I'm sure you do the same thing, which is like, wait a minute. Why is that? How did that become so? Po why? You know, and, we, we want to know why. And sometimes it's just timing. Sometimes it's the algorithm feeding a massive amount of people a certain thing. By the way, this story was written by Dorian Linsky for The Guardian. Dorian, you did a mm -hmm. fantastic job. One of the first things he was talking about is this uh, Ryan Goldman um, from the Canadian indie band Mother Mother. You know, they had a sort of a quiet 2020, like a lot of bands did. Um, towards the end of the year, however, the front man noticed that songs from the band's 2008 album, Oh My Heart, were suddenly spiking on streaming platforms. Day after day, the numbers continued to rise. Something strange was happening. Uh, he said, we were able to track it to TikTok, and it was like, well, what's TikTok? <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> there was this whole alternate universe of people enjoying Mother Mother songs written long ago. Then he says in 2008, Mother Mother couldn't get a song on the radio or build a significant international following. And he says there's a thing called the Canadian curse yeah. where you can do well in Canada, but you can't break out. And they sort of grew to a modest level. But he says now, thanks to TikTok, they have 8 million monthly listeners on Spotify, almost double <laughs> that of their more lauded Canadian contemporaries like Arcade Fire. Wow. Wow. Yes. That is so crazy. Um, it, it's funny. TikTok is a foreign country, uh, as he puts it. You know, they do things differently there. Popularity on, on TikTok, which enables users to create and share videos up to three minutes long, has shot Miguel's 2011 single, Sure Thing, into the UK top 10 12 years after it's released. Um, you know, uh, Edison Lighthouse's 1970 hit, Love Grows Where My Rosemary Grows, I say that right. A, yeah. a, a Gen Z standard, right? And, and given the formerly niche California slowcore trio Duster, more monthly listeners than Sonic Youth and Pavement put together, and nobody really understands why. 
<laughs> it says, while TikTok is an essential component of any record label's marketing plan, true virality cannot be engineered. Amen. And has upended conventional industry wisdom about what makes a song a hit. For older artists, some years distant from TikTok's core demographic, the resuscitation of a song can feel like a delightful but inexplicable gift from the gods. How does it feel when TikTok suddenly turns its searchlight on you? And how can you finesse that happy accident into a genuine career revival? But the thing that you just said really resonates with me. True virality cannot be yes. engineered. Man, right. I wish it could. And yeah, we have influencers out there and you can follow trends, but man, that's it. How do you how do you finesse this happy accident as you said, you know, into a genuine career revival. So in the summer of 2022, uh, Jared Gosling and Dean Honer of iMonster observed that their 2004 EP track, Who Is She?, was suddenly overtaking their sole top 40 hit, Daydream in Blue. They learned that it was taking off on TikTok with A-list influencers, such as, you know, Charlie D'Amelio. You know, um, he says, I'd never heard of her, but, uh, yeah. And Kim Kardashian, he goes, I've heard of her. Uh, An eerie gothic grind based on hammer horror sample, Who Is She?, um, it turned out to be the perfect makeover video and fans uh, and edits of scenes from Net- Netflix. I can't even say this Netflix show <laughs> Wednesday. Remember Wednesday. Thanks to the one song, the duo currently have more monthly Spotify listeners than Wolf Alice, Bjork or the Stone Roses. Now, you'll notice that this is a very UK centric uh, sure. piece. Yeah. It's from the UK. It's from The Guardian. There are a lot of these UK bands. But the point is still well made. He said it wasn't a single because no one was interested in it. It took 20 years to take off with a completely different generation. Wow. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, and and as I'm as I'm looking at that getting back to the the part of this that 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 statement we kind of keyed on while it's an essential component of any label's marketing plan, mm-hmm. true virality cannot be engineered. We all agree that that's true, and yet you do not want to be that guy in the marketing meeting that stands up and says that because they'll be clearing your desk out by the end of the day. Yeah. Um, A band that I love, Keen, and the song that this is referencing, Somewhere Only We Know, great song. So Keen's Tim Rice Oxley, he's such is is such a Victorian classic dad. He says when it comes to online culture that he didn't realize what was happening to that band's twenty four two thousand and four, I should say debut single which i played the dickens oh me too Uh, yeah he said until they played festivals last summer he says now that we're totally ancient he says (laughs) but over 20 years we've watched our audience getting older with us and suddenly there were lots of much younger people as you mentioned earlier i started asking why and i started being told about tiktok yeah Uh, he said you could say that somewhere only we know didn't need the boost it's a it's a great song um, and it's been covered, he says, but sure. only recently has it joined Spotify's elite club of songs with more than one billion streams. And he says the rise has been so quick and so massive. A few years ago, we had a handful of songs that were equally weighted as big sing-alongs, but that one's taking on a life that other songs don't have. It's a song that everybody knows. That's right. And there's several other examples of artists in here that... 
you know, just, it was a surprise to them. And I know sometimes we'll see numbers spike and we're going, what the heck just happened? And sometimes it may be a sink that you weren't aware of that was dropping at a certain time or, but a lot of times it is that that it's starting to happen on TikTok. I remember when uh, Ghost, they had the song Mary on a Cross and all of a sudden it just caught fire and you're like, wow, where did this come from? So TikTok's music taste is what they call utilitarian. Songs usually go viral when they become attached to a certain format or message. Some therefore acquire entirely new meanings uh, you know, via the hive mind, Mother Mother's Hayloft has become a come out anthem for trans and non-binary users, while Tom O'Dell's 2013 hit Another Love is now sort of a de facto protest song uh, deployed to soundtrack resistance in Ukraine and Iran. So Hunt found that 17's deadpan fashion world satire, uh, they only want you when you're 17, when you're 21, you're no fun. You know, that touched an unexpected nerve among young women on TikTok. Most of it was like, I'm 21 now, but among that were, you know, quite dark, disturbing videos about their problems and their experiences of being this age. There was only so much of that that we could take. Uh, We thought this is not for us. This is for them. (laughs) <laughs> right. But as we, we were talking about, serious financial benefits accrue down the line when TikTok's virality translates into streams on other platforms and more prestigious live bookings. Most TikTok users won't, explain, won't explore an artist's work beyond their viral hit. But if just a small percentage of tens of millions of new listeners become genuine fans, it can make a huge difference. Almost yeah. 20 years after they last played live, the band you were referencing, iMonster, have been receiving offers from booking agents. They have reissued Who Is She, which is which is their this, this album, including sped up and slowed down mixes, and have been galvanized into making a new album. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it can be life-changing for some of these bands. Yeah, and like you said, it just it doesn't have to be all of them. Um, it can be just a small percentage, but if you're getting millions and millions of plays, some of those people are going to go explore more. But, you know, we've seen that sort of explosion. Remember when Fleetwood Mac, you know, with that uh, yes. moment that they had. And really the last thing I'll say on this is that it's it's not always obvious how to exploit a TikTok success, right? So... There, there, Tom O'Dell had over 2 billion Spotify streams for Another Love and, you know, recently returned to the top 40 for the first time since 2016 with the single Black Friday. But neither of Miguel's singles since Sure Thing's viral success have been hits. And, and the part that really jumped out at me was they said that the label wanted us to post videos saying, hey, guys, thanks a lot. You know, and we said, why would we intervene, intervene in this beautiful, weird thing that's happening? Let it run. <laughs> yes, let it run. And that's, again, that's, that's a tough uh, conversation to have with your label or your management because everybody wants to just amplify everything. But again, these things just happen and it's inexplicable sometimes. I think it's and amazing. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, on that note, Jay, we got to wrap up the episode. We want to thank everyone for listening in. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors. We could not do the show without them. So big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. And if you do enjoy the show, please just tell one friend. I know Jay and I would certainly appreciate that. So on that note, everyone have a great week. And Jay and I will be back next time on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. 
You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.